Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. Stepping out is never easy. The predictable, the comfortable, the familiar, all gravity. Clenching, holding, restraining. But we are a different breed. We do not accept the status quo. Come hell or high water, we will run boldly into the unknown. In search of purpose, promise, greatness, we are Pioneers. This weekend's message is really the preface to next weekend's message. Next weekend's message, I'm only preaching on three verses. It's out of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And the whole Pioneer series really is built around Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And I want to read it to you, and then I'll explain to you why I can't preach that this weekend, because i got to preach this message before I preach that one. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. And go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. How many of you would like for God to extend the same promises to you that he extended to Abraham? Just put your hand up. Okay. That can't happen if a few things don't happen first, all right? Now, the title of this weekend's message is A Lot Like Lot. And what I'm gonna do in this message is really put the life that Lot lived up against the life that Abraham lived. Many Christians want God uh, to extend to them the blessings associated with Abraham, but that will not happen as long as we choose to live like Lot. And if there was a subtitle to this message, this would be the subtitle, Posers versus Patriarchs. Posers versus Patriarchs. Now let me just tell you, I preached this message twice in front of people and a couple times at the house on Saturday, and I've come to learn very quickly, this is one of those messages that... Uh, hits a little bit too close to home for some of us, and um, it's not the easiest kind of message to receive. This week, I asked Brad, uh, one of our pastors on staff, I said, hey, do you think I make it easy to leave our church? And he started laughing, and he goes, "Um, yeah, I think you really do. (laughs) I was just meaning it as a joke. He was being serious, and uh, he he said, "I, I really do. I think the way you preach, it makes it easy to leave our church. But he said, I think what what you're left with is the people God's called here. And I want you to hear this. I don't ever want to run anybody off. But I also don't want anybody to come to church here because I run away from the truth. 
And so there's a fine line that I have to walk as a pastor where I, I don't want to condemn because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't want to condemn, but I also don't want to be afraid of the Holy Spirit convicting us when we're walking in error. And just know my motivation as we go into this message. I want you and your family to be more blessed than you can possibly imagine. I want God to bless you more than you are ever asking him to bless you. That's, that's my motivation. Not because I want you to be wealthier or more prosperous, but because I want you to live the kind of life where the only words to describe it are these, only God could do this. That's the kind of life I want you to be able to experience on this earth because I believe that's the life God intended for you to live as one of his children. But there are some things that can get in the way of God being able to bless you the way you want him to. So let's talk about Lot. I'm going to give you five things that we see in Lot's life. And if you want some homework this week, go home and read Genesis 12 through Genesis 19 and see the difference between Abraham, the patriarch, and Lot, the poser. And I'm not saying bad against that. I'm just saying he looks like, and I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures, he looks like a, a pretty decent guy from time to time, but God does not bless Lot the same way he blesses Abraham. And I want you to see why. Here's the first reason. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Point number one, Lot was a chooser. Lot was a chooser. Another way to say it is Lot liked getting his way. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture and, and I'll give you the run-up to Genesis 19. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Genesis 19 and we're going to hop around Genesis 12, 13, 14, 18, 19 throughout this message. And you can just follow along with me or read it on the screen. But Lot, as we get to Genesis 19, was living in the city of Sodom, which many of us know Sodom was one of the most sinful cities scripture speaks of. And two angels have been sent by God to rescue Lot and his family. And I want you to see what happens. They have escaped the city, the destruction, and I want you to see what life looks like when you want what you want more than you want to see what God wills in your life. Watch this. Genesis 19 verse 17. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. So he's pointing up to the mountains. Run to the mountains. Don't stop. Okay. Don't read ahead. Question. If God sent an angel of the Lord to come tell you that the path to safety involved running to the mountains, how many of you would immediately start running to the mountains? Okay. That's, put your hands back up and let's just look around in case you're married to someone who doesn't have their hand up just so you know what you're dealing with. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> look what happens in verse 18. This is how you know you want what you want more than you want what God wills. Listen to what Lot says. Oh no, my Lord, Lot begs. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life and you have shown such great kindness. You know that's how your kids talk before they're about to ask you for something that they're not supposed to get. You know that's how they sound. Lot is, is doing this. He says, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there and I would soon die. See, there is a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. Okay, 
Here's what you need to know about the city that Lot is pointing at. It's the city of Zoar, okay? And Zoar literally means little place. Isn't it interesting that God sends an angel to Lot and says, that's where I want you to run, to the high place. And Lot says, I don't want to to run to the high place. Just give me the little place of my own choosing. Lots would rather have the little place of their own choosing than the divine place that comes with letting God choose. Lots settle for little places just because picking is more important to them than God's plan. And here's one of the things you need to remember. When you choose to choose before God speaks, you need to write this down right here. When you choose before God speaks, what you will get will never be as great as what he would have given you. We all have to decide. We're either going to be choosers or we're going to be receivers. And Abraham was a receiver. Now before I show you what Abraham receives, I want you to see how a real receiver rolls. All right? So Genesis chapter 13, if you're, you're in your Bible there, go back a few chapters to Genesis 13. Abram and Lot are splitting up. Their herdsmen are fighting and they both have too, much, uh, too many resources and not enough land, too much cattle, too many sheep, too many goats, and not enough land to take care of everybody. And so they're splitting up. And I want you to watch how Abram, Abraham handles this moment in time because this is what a receiver looks like. Genesis 13, verse 8. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. Okay, here's the picture, the difference between Lot and Abram. Lot makes choices like this. Abraham makes choices like this. He has chosen to let God choose. His trust was in God's hand. Listen, here's what's interesting. Lot was looking for the best piece of land. Abraham had already settled. The piece of land didn't matter to him because his life was in God's hands. And no matter which direction Lot went, Abraham knew God was going to take care of him. Why? Because he was not a chooser, he was a receiver. Now look, oh, and you can write this down. This is one of my favorite one-liners in the message. A believer cannot become a good receiver until they get a revelation of just how good God is at being the giver. But we rob God of the opportunity to be the incredible giver that he is by choosing before we give him the chance to give. Now watch what happens when Abram says, I'm not going to choose, you can choose. And I'll let God take care of what happens. Verse 14 of Genesis 13. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction, including the direction Lot was walking. He says, look in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving all of this land 
as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. Here's in essence what God is saying to Abraham. This is how God handles receivers who don't take, who hold their lives like this. God says to Abraham, good choice, my man. Because when you choose not to choose, you will see my divine response. And God responded by saying, look around. Lot takes a, a long look at the land he wants. And as soon as he walks off after choosing, God says, Abraham, take note of this moment. Look everywhere you can see. I'm giving all of this to you and your descendants. I'm giving it to you. Listen, if you want God to play like that with you, you're going to have to stop choosing so much to get what you want. And here's the great news about that whole deal. How many times have you ever gotten what you wanted and when you got it, you realize what you got is not what you want? So stop choosing so much. Let God choose. Point number two. Lot was always looking. Lot was always looking. Genesis 13, verse 10. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. Okay, here's what you need to understand. In scriptures, specifically the Old Testament, Egypt was a picture of the world and what the world could offer. All right, It's not a coincidence that when Lot is taking a long look for the piece of land that he wants to live in, that he picks a piece of property that looks as close as possible to Egypt. Now, there, you, you have to understand, Abraham, uh, in, in Genesis 12, God says, okay, leave your father's your, your native country and your father's family. They immediately start heading south. They get to the Negev Desert. And a famine hits. And the Bible says that Abram chose to go to Egypt. God didn't tell him to go. Abraham chose to go down to Egypt. Now, some bad stuff starts to happen in Egypt. All right? Uh, Abraham basically gives up his wife to Pharaoh because he lies and says it's his sister because he was afraid that because she was so beautiful, they would take her and kill him. So just think about this, men. How good do you think that would be for your marriage? Egypt was not a place of fond memory for Abraham. Not only that, Abraham and Sarah picked up Hagar in Egypt. And if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael, Hagar is the mother of Ishmael, who ends up becoming the greatest antagonist, not just for the family of Abraham, but for, for his entire lineage all the way until today. It's still happening. So some things went south in Egypt, and Abraham figured it out. He goes back up north, and they are in this place, picking which way they're going to go. And Lot says, I want to go back to a place like Egypt. And the reason was because he was craving some things he had experienced in his past. Lot measured every future opportunity by what he had experienced in his past while he was in Egypt. We're guilty of the same exact thing when we give our lives to Jesus, but keep looking back at what everybody else is doing in Egypt, in the neighborhood, in the world. 
how they're fulfilling old fleshly cravings that you used to have. Listen, the problem with Lot is he was always looking. Why do you think that scripture says when we give our lives to Jesus, we're to behold, we're to look at the Father, we're to look at Jesus, to follow Jesus, not to keep looking back. To repent means to head this way, not keep looking back that way. This is what got Lot into trouble. Here's another way to say it. When you look to Egypt to be your chef, you will crave what she cooks long after you leave her. Scripture in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 speaks to these unhealthy, fleshly cravings. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Interesting it says a craving. The, the, the world can't offer actual physical pleasure the way God intended it. Just a craving for it. A craving for everything we see. And pride in our achievements and possessions. These cravings are not from the Father, but are from this world. Lot was a looker. What was Abraham? Abraham was always learning. Lot was always looking. Abraham was always learning. Now, before I read you Genesis chapter 14, let me give you a little bit of the, the run-up to this. Lot has been captured, and Uncle Abraham has to go and rescue him, all right? And he, Abraham takes a couple hundred men, and they take out multiple armies. Massive victory, okay? And in this day and time, all of the spoils go to the victor. So Abram has all of these spoils at his, his fingertips, and I want you to see what happens. Before we read about the king of Sodom coming to Abram and saying what we're about to read that he says, you need to know what happens right before. Abraham goes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek comes to Abraham. Most believe that Melchizedek is the pre-incarnate Christ and offers Abraham communion before communion is even a thing, all right? He brings him the bread and the wine. Abraham's response after this victory and after the communion is to be the first person in all of scripture to tithe. He tithes. The Bible says he gives a tenth, all right? Before the tithe is even a real thing. Now, some of us don't, we, we just think the tithe is a rule. When we read about Abraham being the one to bring, to return a tenth, of what he had just received. You have to understand something. Abraham was doing that because he was a receiver, not a taker. Takers don't tithe and tithers don't take. Now I want you to take this a little bit deeper as to why this is so important. Because some of us have a very shallow perspective of tithing that, well, that's just how the church keeps its lights on. Are you kidding me? God pays his bills, okay? That, that, that's, he is not worried about keeping the lights on of the church. It's not why we talk about tithing. It's a principle, and we can't be receivers who re recognize by returning to God what is his by taking the tithe that God says belongs to him. But think about this. Let, let's just personalize it, because tithing is really just a test of what's going on in my heart. Think about this. Holly and I hear all the time people talk about uh, who, what type of person their children are going to marry. And it's a very uh, kind of silly conversation to me because we, we don't know. But I hear people say, well, um, our children, they're, they're going to marry believers. Well, yeah, I, I think as sons and daughters of God, hopefully we're raising kids that don't want to marry outside of the family of God. 
so that's just kind of a, a given to me. But Holly and I take it much further. And I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I am not going to let my one and only daughter marry a man who doesn't tithe. And I don't care where he goes to church. I don't care what part of the country he lives in. Trust and believe. I'm going to call his pastor and go, I don't know if this is allowed, but I want to see his tithing record. <laughs> and better yet, if the kid is worth his salt, he's going to show me his tithing record. And here's why. Why would I ever give my only daughter to a taker? I don't want her to wake up every morning for the rest of her life with a man who doesn't want to give. He just wants to take, take, and take. It's part of my responsibility as her daddy to protect her. And one of the ways I'm not going to let a poser come into her life is I'm going to make sure he is not a taker. He's a receiver. And receivers recognize only God did this. When we tithe, that's what we're saying. Only God did this. My hands didn't do this. My hands are not my provider. My job is not my provider. Only God could do this. Abraham got that. Why? Because he was a receiver. The point of Canaan was not prosperity. Before I read you this passage, the point of Canaan was proof that only God could do something this miraculous. Now let me show you Genesis 14, verse 21. Now, remember, Abram and his couple hundred men have just taken out multiple armies. The king of Sodom is now coming. And he says, give back my people who you captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you've recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so, take, I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you might say, I'm the one who made Abram rich. Here's what Abraham is saying. I don't need you to be blessed. God is the one who blesses me. And furthermore, I don't want you being tempted to take credit that what God does for me had anything to do with you. I'm not taking anything you have. Think about this. Abraham is holding his life and everything he has like this. This is one of the big reasons why God was constantly putting more into Abraham's hands and why he wasn't doing it with Lot because Lot was holding it like this. Here's the third thing Lot was. Lot was easily influenced. Lot was easily influenced. When you go back to Genesis 12, after the first three verses, which are very, very special verses when God says, Abraham, leave your native country, your father's family, and go to the place that I alone will show you. Massive moment in scripture we're going to talk about all next week. But I want you to see what verse 4 says. Listen to how it talks about Abram and listen to how it talks about Lot. Genesis 12 verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abraham follows God just as God had called him to do. And Lot went with him. This is the kind of guy Lot was. He was a follower. He wasn't the leader. Now I want to show you a passage that's going to blow you away. Because I think some of us think that we can dance in the midst of fire and never get burned as believers in Jesus. And I want you to see what happens with Lot. Now remember, he's in Sodom, a very sinful city. And these two angels come to visit him to rescue him. He brings them into his home. He cooks dinner for them. And watch what Lot does 
that helps us understand just how easy it is to be influenced when we don't stand for the values of our king. Watch this. Genesis 19 verse 4, but before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk with them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers. Think about this. Lot walks out the front door to these men who are shouting these obscenities. And he says, brethren, my brothers, please don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you and you can do with them as you wish. But please leave these men alone for they are my guests and are under my protection. So what are your daughters? <laughs> these men are under your protection? What are they? Here's the million dollar question. How does it get to the place where you think it is okay to offer your two daughters up in prostitution? Here is the multi-million dollar answer. Prolonged proximity to poison eventually pollutes you. Lot had spent too much time playing with fire. And while he didn't give the angels up to the locals, what he did was just as bad or even worse as a father. Why? He had been around a lack of values for so long that he'd started to look more like them than he thought. That's the only way you get to that place. Let me just speak to the younger people who are dating right now. Can I tell you something? I'm gonna to shoot totally straight with you. If you're intrigued with fire right now, you should not be playing with matches. If you are captivated by the flame, don't walk into the same room with matches if you can't keep your hands off of them. This is big, big, big boy, big girl talk right here. Well, Preston, I feel like I can handle it. Says the person who eventually gets burned every time. I can just imagine Lot saying, yeah, but this, this city needs someone like me. Yeah, they do. They need someone like you not to behave like everybody else in the city. Absolutely move into a, a tough neighborhood where, where there's a lot of darkness in this city. But it doesn't mean you, start, you have to start resembling everybody on your block. We're called to be light in dark places. And I just wonder how often some of us, we look more like darkness than we do light. And I'm not trying to come at you. I'm trying to help you understand that until we walk in the light, God's not going to bless us in the midst of darkness. Lot, he didn't get it. He offers his two girls up in prostitution, thinking that's the lesser of two evils. And listen to me, you know you are compromising when the way you process is choosing the lesser of two evils rather than the way of the master. Abraham, on the other hand, he wasn't easily influenced. He was an intercessor. And I don't have the time to go through Genesis 18, but read it this week. Think about this. The God of the universe says, should I withhold my plan from Abram? I don't think that I should. I think I'm going to go talk to him and I'm going to tell him there's a lot of evil in the city of Sodom. 
and what I'm going to have to do with it if things are as bad as I'm hearing they are. And Abram says, oh, okay, God, if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom, will you rescue it? Will you, will you choose not to destroy it? God says, sure. If there are 50 righteous people, Abram, knowing Sodom was sickening, knew there weren't 50 people. So he goes, okay, okay, what, what about 45? 45 people. Will you rescue the city if there are 45 righteous people? God says, yes, for your sake, yep, I will. Abram, knowing there aren't 45, says, okay, okay, 40. If there are 40 people, will you relent? Yes. 30, 20, 10. Will, will, will you just protect the city if there are 10 righteous people? God says, yes, I will. Okay, question. Why is God having this conversation with Abraham and not Lot? I'll tell you why. Because Lot had become so influenced by what was going on in that city, he could no longer stand as the intercessor for that city. You can either be influenced or you can intercede, but you can't be both. And God comes to the one who was not influenced. And isn't it amazing for everybody who says, well, I, I just need to be in the thick of everything that's going on in my city and whatever they're doing, and good or bad, I just need to be a part of it. That was not Abraham's philosophy. And whom did God speak to when it was time to go after the city? He spoke to Abraham because Abraham had stood as one who was not influenced by the sin that was going down in Sodom. Thus he was allowed to be the intercessor. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 14. He's speaking to the Father. He says, I've given them your word, and the world hates them, speaking of believers, because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. Followers of Jesus are called to be in the world without being influenced by the world. And that leads us to point number four. Because when you read that a man was willing to give up his two daughters in prostitution, that does not sound like a godly man. Am I right? And, and Lot kind of gets that rap, but I'm going to show you point number four, Lot was not lost. Lot was not lost. Second Peter chapter two, verse seven says, but God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man. I think that's God's sarcastic side right there. He's like, no, no, I know that you know Lot's story. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Lot was not lost. He was simply a righteous man running in the wrong direction. He was a righteous man. He wasn't lost. There was good in him. But question, why was he tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day? Because he kept subjecting himself to it day in and day out. He never stepped above it. He never stepped out of it. So he couldn't do anything about it because he was too close to it all. Interestingly enough, in this story where Lot chooses which way he's going to go, you really have to do a little bit of digging. But what happens, once they go down to Egypt, they come back through the Negev, they stop at a place where Abraham had erected an altar in the past and worshiped the Lord. And the altar happened to be in between two cities. 
one named Bethel, one named Ai. Now, Bethel means house of God. Ai, interestingly enough, means ruin. And here's what happens. The Bible says that Lot chooses the land to the east, which was the direction Ai was from where they were standing that day. Bethel was to the west, Ai was to the east. It's interesting to me that as Lot turns to go towards Ai, he is sending every believer a message that I don't believe is a coincidence scripturally. That when we turn our backs on the house of God, our only option is to run towards ruin. Abram says, listen, I tried Egypt. That did not work for me. My life is in God's hands. I'm not going to be perfect, but I am not going that direction. And Lot says, I am. And he turns his back on Bethel, the house of God. And he's running towards ruin. Listen, one of my biggest concerns about the church today is that many people actually believe that being a Christian is measured by coming to church. I wish it were that easy. Time and time again, Jesus spoke the truth to people as he walked this earth during those three years of ministry before the end of his life. He wasn't trying to make it easy for everybody. He was trying to show them the way. And he said, point blank, the way is not easy. The way is not going to be easy. It's going to be sacrificial. It's going to cost you much. Lot chose to turn his back on the way and head immediately into ruin. And that's exactly what happens to him. Lot, he wasn't lost. But Abraham wasn't just not lost. The Bible calls Abraham a friend of God. James chapter 2 verse 23 says, And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. That's Isaiah chapter 41. God actually says, he calls Abraham his friend. There is a difference between someone who is just righteous, who, who appears to be godly and doesn't do horrific things, and someone who is considered a friend of God. What is the biggest difference between someone who is considered to be righteous and someone considered to be a friend of God? And the answer is actually point number five. Lot was a tent guy. Lot was a tent guy. Genesis chapter 13, verse five says, Lot, who was traveling with Abram, was also rich in sheep, rich in cattle, and rich in tents. Now, this is really important. It's easy to gloss over. It's very important to know the kind of life Lot lived and also understand that Lot was a tent guy. Abraham was not a tent guy. Abraham was an altar guy. Everywhere Abraham went, he set up altars. He set up four big-time altars that his, his grandchildren would worship at in the days to come and beyond. Lot was all about the tents. Now, think about this. What is a tent? A tent is a temporary dwelling place. An altar was a place of sacrifice, of worship, of testimony, 
that only God could do what just happened. You see that all throughout scripture, but also a place of communion between God and man. Lot was a tent guy. He was about the temporary dwelling. Well, how does that apply to us today? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, For we know that when this earthly tent, this body we live in is taken down, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Scripture is helping us to understand that we cannot be the pioneers that God created us to be as his children if we are fixated on that which is temporary and temporal. Think about this. Best case scenario, you live in this city, what, 90 years? If from birth to death, 90, 100 years? Do you realize what a drop in the bucket that is compared to eternity? Why would we ever focus more on the temporary than we would on the eternal? Listen, when we fixate on the temporal, God cannot trust us to steward that which is eternal. Think about this. Why would we even focus on the temporary? You realize how quickly temporary stuff changes? Some of you are, maybe are a little too old to know what this is, but a while back, last year, this shoe became very popular. Yeezys. All right? Yeezys. Dumbest name I've ever heard in my life. Yeezys. And they're like $400 shoes. I'm not spending 400 bucks on my kids' shoes when they're going to grow out of them in three months. You know what I mean? So what did I do? I got online and I found Feezys. <laughs> Fake Yeezys from somewhere in Asia. They were like 50 bucks. And, and all I had to do was be willing to wait about six weeks to receive them. So I, I was like, sure, I'll, I'll get you all a pair of Yeezys. Let's do this thing. They're like, Daddy, these are not Yeezys. These are Feezys. I'm like, no one can tell the difference. And your feet grow so fast, it doesn't even matter. I got them all Feezys. And here's a funny thing happened. Six weeks later, we get the Feezys, and wouldn't you know, by the time they got their fake Yeezys, Yeezys weren't even cool anymore. Why? Because temporary stuff is basically just trash. It might be the craving of the moment, but in a month, it's going to be trash. Oh, those aren't cool anymore. That's how they talk. Listen, why would we play that game with eternal things at stake? I am begging you because I want to see God bless you beyond what you've ever asked him, but he will not do that if you are more fixated on that which is temporary than you are with that which is eternal. With all my heart, I want to see you blessed. But it's just not going to happen. God cannot bless us because he chooses not to. He will not bless us like Abraham as long as we are choosing to live like Lot. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.